Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. The following podcast contains explicit language. Whether or not that was a real certificate, because a lot of people question it, I certainly question it. Now all we have to do is find out whether or not it was real. His father was with Lee Harvey Oswald prior to Oswald's being shot. I'm not a believer in global warming. I'm not a believer in man-made global warming. Do you think there was a Hillary Clinton double? Yeah. I think anything's possible when it comes to doubles. Hello and welcome to Trumpcast, the show about the man who told Howard Stern that he probably could have nailed Princess Diana, Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. So Trump has said a lot of ridiculous things, but some of them are ridiculous in an especially kooky way. That Barack Obama was born in Kenya and that his birth certificate was a fake. That thousands of Muslims in New Jersey cheered and celebrated on September 11th that Ted Cruz's father was a friend of Lee Harvey Oswald's and played a role in the Kennedy assassination, that the California drought is a fake, that Vin Foster's death was fishy, that climate change is a hoax created by the Chinese, by China, that Antonin Scalia might not have died of natural causes. These are conspiracy theories. And what is a conspiracy theory? It's an explanation for events that posit secret manipulation serving the political or economic interests of powerful people. At the extreme, paranoid thinking can be an expression of mental illness. But while some people think Trump exhibits signs of narcissistic personality disorder, I've never heard anyone argue that his conspiracy thinking is the result of having hallucinations or hearing voices. He doesn't seem crazy in that way. Rather, Trump is a conspiracy mongerer. He may or may not really believe these fictions, or care whether they're true or not. The point of throwing out conspiracy theories is to cultivate his following among a subsection of his supporters known lately as the alt-right. And the alt-right is where his conspiracy theories come from. In particular, many of them seem to come from a man known as the country's leading conspiracy theorist, a Texas radio host known as Alex Jones. My guest today inadvertently helped Alex Jones get his start as a conspiracy mongerer nearly 20 years ago. He writes about Jones, Jones's wacky views, and Jones's relationship with Donald Trump in a new Kindle single. I'll be back to talk to John Ronson right after we do the tweets. Bill Clinton is right. Obamacare is crazy, doesn't work, and doesn't make sense. Thanks, Bill, for telling the truth. Thank you, 
Senator John McCain, for your kind remarks on the important issue of PTSD and the dishonest media. Great to be in Arizona yesterday. Wow. Did you see how badly CNN Clinton News Network is doing in the ratings with people like Don Lemon? Who could expect any more? Remember, don't believe sources said by the very dishonest media. If they don't name sources, the sources don't exist. Crooked H is nasty to Sanders supporters behind closed doors, owned by Wall Street and the politicians. HRC is not with you. This is the simple fact about Hillary Clinton. She's a typical politician. All talk, no action. My guest today is John Ronson. He's a writer for publications including The Guardian and the author of a new Kindle single called The Elephant in the Room, A Journey into the Trump Campaign and the Alt-Right. John, thanks for joining me in the studio today. Jacob, it's nice to be here. I just read your Kindle single. It's fun. You kind of got out there chasing Alex Jones. Right. Because I'm, I'm kind of, as I say in the story, I'm kind of Alex Jones's Simon Cowell. I, <laughs> I star spotted him in the 1990s when he was just a local DJ in Austin, Texas. Well, tell, tell our listeners the story. How'd you spot him and tell this hilarious story in brief of how the two of you ended up infiltrating the Bohemian Grove together. Right. Well, I met him at Waco. He he was um he organized the rebuilding of David Koresh's church and I went along there with Randy Weaver actually and we were sitting by the campfire and everybody was really excited about this 26-year-old guy. He was just sort of sitting there saying things like I am a war reporter. There's a whole buffet of corruption out there. And but he was a right-wing activist, and he had this idea as, as a radio DJ to rebuild the Branch Davidian compound, yeah. basically, after it was destroyed in the tragic fire uh, after the confrontation with the FBI. Right. I remember seeing a bumper sticker that said, you burn it, we build it. And he did it all through listener donations, I think like $100,000 or something in listener donations. And and he, he struck me as a, a big conspiracy star in the making. He you, was, you were covering him for The Guardian or something like that? Uh, no, I was writing a book called Them, Adventures with Extremists, where mm. I, which was about the relationship between conspiracy theorists and the people who they believe are the shadowy cabal that secretly rules the world. And so the purpose of the book was to try and sneak... Like, if there really was a secret room, then it would have to be somewhere. And if it <laughs> was somewhere, I, I could possibly get in. So I hooked up with conspiracy theorists and tried to infiltrate shadowy cabals. And one of them was Bohemian Grove. I kept on hearing that there was a this place in the forests of Northern California where the ruling elite, like George Bush and Dick Cheney, meet once a year and on the Saturday it's like a campground in the Redwood Forests and on the Saturday night they all dress up in robes and hoods 
and um, have a ritual which culminates in a human effigy being thrown into a bonfire in front of a giant owl, giant stone owl. And, and largely true. Yeah. I mean, of course, I thought, well, that can't be true. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. They do do that. And they li- they really like to pee outside. They really like to urinate on trees. That's and, like, yeah. yeah. Good... You don't get to do that as much at the Council on Foreign Relations. Right. Exactly. So I... I thought wouldn't it be wouldn't it be great to get in and secretly film the owl ritual? So in fact, the first person I asked was David Icke, the conspiracy theorist, and he said he he didn't want to infiltrate Bohemian Grove with me because that's where the ruling elite transform themselves back into giant lizards and people vanish in those forests. <laughs> so then I asked Alex Jones, and he said, "Yes, I'll get right up in their faces. We'll smuggle a camera in and get right up in those devil worshipping globalist faces and film them going about their globalist evil." So I said, I think uh, stealth might, might be a better <laughs> approach. And he goes, okay, stealth. And so we, we – you, you got in and, you, and he, he made a movie about this and that's what made him – made Alex Jones famous on, right. the, on the right. We both brought out our stories with differing interpretations of the ritual <laughs> that we'd witnessed. Alex's interpretation was that we had possibly witnessed an actual human sacrifice uh, to Moloch, the owl god. My interpretation was that we definitely hadn't witnessed an actual human sacrifice. And in fact, it was just this weird pageant. And because Alex had gone so far one way, saying we might have witnessed actual human sacrifice, I was forced into this uncomfortable position of defending the Bush family's proclivity for mock human sacrifice, which is sort of <laughs> an odd place to find myself in. Uh, so then we fell out and then 20 years passed. So we'll get to Donald Trump in a minute. But first, I just want to ask you about Alex Jones, because you described that experience with him. Is he genuinely paranoid in the clinical sense, like he believes these things? Or is this just a kind of a style of right wing theater to, be- to, to talk about these conspiracies? And Alex Jones is known for the craziest of the cons- craziest conspiracies. 9-11 was an inside job. The Sandy Hook massacre was faked with child actors. I mean, he says these crazy things. And does he believe them? And if he believes them, is it political or clinical? Uh, well, I think Alex is is very smart and also a great broadcaster in his genre. And on a personal level, I like him very much. Um, I think it's theater to a, to a large extent. He... Because as well as those terrible ones that you mentioned, there's also that the American government puts um, secret chemicals in juice boxes to turn Americans gay and that Michelle Obama um, had Joan Rivers murdered because Joan Rivers had worked out that Michelle Obama was actually a man and on and on and on. Atheists worship Lucifer. Uh, so I think to a large extent it's, it's theatre. Um, and he's having fun with this. I mean, he's he's sort of as he makes these things up. You know, he's got a he's got a following, and he's entertaining them much in the way a stand up comedian would. Absolutely, which which doesn't make him Colbert. Um, for a little while, I wondered whether Alex was like a liberal who was playing a huge. Like, was he a great performance artist? Yeah, yeah. I, but I don't think that. I think he is a conservative. He is what he claims to be, but adds a, a kind of huge dose of theatre to it. It's certainly not clinical. I've, I don't believe that at all. Huh. So we probably wouldn't be here talking about him if it were not for his relationship with Donald Trump. He seriously seems to have some influence on Trump. Some, how, how could that be? Why is Trump interested in him? Some genuine influence. Uh, I, I first discovered this. I was at the German Trump was on the screens. So I excitedly, like you, I lap it all up. And as I put in my headphones, the first thing I heard was somebody in the audience saying, are you going back on the Alex Jones show? 
And Donald Trump said, Alex Jones, nice guy, you like him? And the guy said, it was great. And Alex Jones, and Donald Trump said, Alex Jones, nice guy. And I had such a jolt from this, I nearly fell off the elliptical. I couldn't <laughs> believe that my Alex uh, suddenly had the ear of a presidential nominee. I mean, this was, this was extraordinary to me. Uh, and do you think that's true? I mean, Trump's tolerance for watching or listening to anybody who's not himself seems pretty limited. I mean, is he really listening to the Alex Jones show on talk radio? Yeah, there has been occasions when Trump would use some odd phraseology in a speech, and then it would turn out that Alex Jones had used exactly the same phraseology some weeks or days or months earlier. What's an example? Uh, when Trump said that there was no drought in California there was actually plenty of water, but the Californian elite had seized the water and shoved it into the sea to protect three-inch fish. Uh, <laughs> like, you can't take a three-inch fish seriously. If it were an 11-inch fish, maybe okay. Right. But, yeah. Well, yeah. so how did he come up with the, with the <laughs> fact that the fish was, was three inches? And it turns out that Alex Jones had published an article on Infowars talking specifically about how there was no drought and they were shoving water in the sea to protect a three-inch fish. So this is, gets back to a version of the same question I find very interesting, which is many people have had this same debate about Trump. Is he performing? Does he believe it? He's obviously a great entertainer in a certain way and sees himself as such. Is he picking up these things from Alex Jones as, you know, one tenor tipping his hat to another great tenor? Or... Is he does he believe them mm. or does he simply believe that Alex Jones has figured out how to say things that resonate with a right wing audience and he's picking them up because it works regardless of whether he believes any of it or not? Right. And these are the questions that were swirling around in my head when I went to the Republican convention and tried to reunite with Alex Jones. Who Who's playing who? Yeah. Uh, I um, got to sit down with Alex in Austin after the RNC and I was cross-questioning him on these matters, like, you know, how, what is their relationship? Do they talk on the phone? And yes, they do talk on the phone. Sometimes Alex will put out a YouTube video and Trump will then say what Alex suggested he would say a few days later in a speech. At one point, Alex said to me, he was kind of nervous and flustered. Uh, Alex is somebody who speaks in a very confident stream of consciousness most of the time, but I noticed that he didn't speak in a stream of consciousness about Trump. He was much more... He was careful about Careful, it. yeah. Didn't want to say the wrong thing, didn't want to upset the Trump campaign, is, is clearly really happy. For all his bluster about not wanting to be part of any elite and, uh, you know, he's his own guy, he was clearly very happy and excited that the Trump campaign uh, have, have brought him in. And he said at one point that Trump said to him, I want you to know that you have great influence, far-reaching influence. Just know that your influence is second to none. And Alex said this to me. Alex recounted this to me with great pride. And I thought that was so sort of weirdly sweet and touching that Alex, you know, that Trump spouted one of his empty platitudes as kind of <laughs> loquacious as one of his stupid rooms. And, and Alex, you know, took in every word and, and thought they had substance. 
Although if he has been picking up things from Alex Jones this way, it's hard to think of anyone else who has that kind of influence on Trump. I mean, you Hmm. try to figure out where he gets his material from. It does sound like Alex Jones is very influential to Donald Trump. Yeah, I'm I'm sure of that. And in fact, Donald Trump Jr. has retweeted Infowars a a number of times. I think Trump retweeted Infowars about the thousands of Muslims who actually weren't who didn't exist and weren't cheering. Cheering for now. And, he's, and Trump has never acknowledged that that's purely fictional. No, I, I mean, it took five years to get him to temporarily sort of acknowledge that the, the birtherism was, was a hoax. He's right. never going to admit the Muslims in New Jersey weren't, weren't cheering for September 11th. Right. Uh, and he retweeted an Alex Jones article, which yeah, apparently confirmed you know, so that's an sense. Alex Jones theory or Alex Jones picked it up from somewhere? Uh, Trump came up with that one first, was being lambasted for it. Ah. And so Alex then published some stuff with apparent eyewitnesses. And then Trump retweeted that to bolster the initial fallacious theory. So you think uh, Roger Stone, who will be a fairly familiar name to listeners of this program, played a role in putting Alex Jones, Jones and Donald Trump together. And, and Stone figures in your book, too. Stone the poli- was a political advisor to Trump, was quit or was fired, but still seems to be working for Trump sort of as a dirty tricks right. man on the outside. Struck me on, on a personal level as a much darker, colder man than, than Alex. You sort of like Alex Jones, but there's not much yeah. to like about Roger Stone. There's, there's, I couldn't find anything to like about Roger Stone. Uh, he, you know, he, he's the sort of person who walks into a room and the whole atmosphere in the room changes. Everything just gets a little bit more chilly and referential. I noticed actually when I was in a backstage, I was in a Winnebago with Alex Jones backstage at a Citizens for Trump rally in Cleveland. And everyone was sort of chatting and then um, Roger Stone walked in and scanned, didn't say a word, just scanned the room almost almost in this kind of robotic way. And later I, I read this quote that he gave Jeffrey Tubin once in The New Yorker where he says, you know, when he walks into a room, he who talks first loses. <laughs> so he was like doing a thing. He walked into this Winnebago like did a thing. He really is Luciferian. I think he really is. And, and, and he shares, you know, he loves Alex Jones. He was the man who brokered the relationship between Alex Jones and Donald Trump uh, via somebody he, who used to work with Alex called Richard Reeves. So Richard Reeves and Roger Stone put Alex together with Trump, uh, but said that Trump was an inveterate watcher of the internet, already knew and loved Alex, loved all the Hillary for Prison t-shirts that he sees. But some people don't realize that Hillary for Prison is, is kind of Alex's thing. Uh, he started that meme. Yeah, and marketed the t-shirts. And yeah, and, and there, was a, there was a point in Cleveland where Pat Smith, whose son died in Benghazi, said from the stage, Hillary for prison, she deserves to be in stripes. And in that moment, Alex Jones made it to the stage of the Republican National Convention. Huh. But um, Roger Stone, it's interesting. I mean, Roger Stone is clearly someone who doesn't believe the stuff he peddles, but he's peddling the same stuff Alex Jones is. I mean, he has a book about the Clintons that says, you quoted in, in your uh, your Kindle single, you know, uh, people who say the, the Clintons uh, murdered 83 people exaggerate. It's really only about half that. Yeah. <laughs> presenting himself as this kind of rational man rummaging, <laughs> rummaging through the, you know, trying to find some verity. And since then, it's, you know, Huma Abedin is a Saudi spy. 
peddling, he's been peddling the fact that JFK Jr. was murdered by the Clintons. That's apparently the subject of his next book. So we're having a good laugh about all this, but the but the alt right is a serious issue in American politics and has now made itself its influence felt in a way that I think none of us would have expected before that campaign. What is how do you define and think about the alt right alt right? I mean on the one hand it means people who are white nationalists and racists. It also means conspiracists and people who follow these crazy ideas of of Alex Jones and Roger Stone. And there's sort of like a lot of faction, you know, they're the they're the the bikers who protect Alex Jones at his rallies. What what is the alt right really? I mean it's it's definitely a, a disparate bunch of factions. Alex is not a racist. He's not a white nationalist. Um, how can you say, I mean, how can someone who peddles the theory that the Muslims cheered for 9-11 and spreads that lie, how can you say that person's not a racist? Well, I mean, just, you know, Alex has got a Korean sister. He's got an adopted Korean sister, his, his um, workforce. The first time I went to see Alex 20 years ago, Infowars was, was him broadcasting down an ISDN line in the bedroom that he had as a child with choo-choo train wallpaper on the walls. Now it's this giant you know, monolith, this giant thing in Austin with a staff of like 50 to 75 people. And I spent the day there and saw you know, lots of diversity amongst Alex's workforce. I, um, well, great. I mean, some of my best friends are black. It's sort of that line. And people can have contradictions. But if you express racist views... It doesn't matter if you're friends or related to African-Americans. It doesn't matter if you are an African-American. If you hold those views, they're racist views. So, I mean, I'm not going to yeah. defend, you know, Alex saying that thousands of Muslims cheered 9-11. So. I mean, I'm not presuming to know what he believes in his heart. But it does seem to me it's at some level you express racist sentiments. That's sort of all we really ultimately can know. As, yeah, I guess. Saying that, there's people further to the right to him who think that Alex is a shill of the New World Order and see Alex as this kind of sort of overly liberal person who's sort of, you know, who's kind of infecting the alt-right with his moderation. So there's certainly people in the alt-right who think that Alex is way to the left of them. And there's always someone to the alt-right of you. But yeah. at some point you get so far alt-right that you're back at the left or it doesn't – there's really no saying whether you're – Right or left, yeah. you're you're just mentally ill. There's other people in that movement, Trump's inner circle, who say these chilling things. One of his spokeswoman, Katrina Pearson, yeah. said in I think about 2012, 2013, uh, Romney's father is a Mexican, Obama's father is Kenyan. Are there any pure breeds left? And the last time I heard phrases like pure breeds was when I was hanging out with um, writing about the Ku Klux Klan back in the 90s and going to Aryan nations. And I remember one time I went to... It was to, brave of you. Oh, God. It was very stupid. I drove past all the signs that said, no Jews, Jews turn back. And I was like driving past all these signs. Like, do, do, do. I got out and immediately was surrounded by all of these skinheads who started asking me what my genealogy was. And pure breeds. I mean, it's extraordinary to think that terms that I would hear amongst white supremacists in the 90s, pure breeds. Look at that woman over there. She's a high yellow. These very precise kind of obsessive terms for defining what they see as racial contamination. And suddenly people close to Trump, people who are spokespeople for Trump are using 
these phrases. I mean, I, I found that personally, I find that stuff because it's so clinical. I find that stuff, you know, especially chilling. So there's the, there is that that racial thread in the alt right. There's the conspiracy thread, and there's also sort of just the anti-establishment popular thread. The idea that the Republican Party was run by a bunch of elitists, you know, the George H. W. Bush types, the Bohemian Groves type, yeah. and that we want something more real and authentic and belonging to the people. Yeah, and that the mainstream media just mocks and ridicules their concerns, uh, which, you know, I have some sympathy for that belief. Uh, when I was at the RNC, I remember one day everybody was, uh, all these journalists were saying to me, did you see the avocado lady? Oh, it was hilarious. You must go to YouTube because I'd missed the avocado lady she was on. I heard the avocado lady. Okay, so everybody was like mocking the avocado lady thinking how kind of absurd and hilarious the avocado lady. So I kind of excitedly ran to YouTube to watch the avocado lady speech and uh, the avocado lady turns out to be this actor, Kimberlyn Brown, who used to be in The Young and the Restless or The Bold and the Beautiful or whatever. Now she's an avocado farmer. And there was something sort of casually funny about it on a superficial level that he was this woman who used to be a soap opera actor and now she's going on about avocados. But her speech was not funny. Her speech was this heartfelt, nervous plea about how trade policies were affecting avocado growing in California. And she was close to tears. Yet, of course, on Twitter and everywhere, it's all like, shut up about your stupid avocados. Trump has scraped the bottom of the barrel with this you know, soap opera has been and so on. And, you know, there's an example of that's the kind of thing that I would say fuels the Trump campaign and the alt-right when somebody is making a, a heartfelt and, you know, the kind of thing that Bernie Sanders might say, but because right. they're part of that faction are just, you know, ridiculed. Mocked, mocked by the silence. elite. And with that one, when she was a soap opera star, a date, you know, she was a failed actress. And yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Hillary has Meryl Streep, all Trump can muster up as Kimberlyn Brown. I mean, you know, no, no, you know, that gives them fuel, I would say. But John, I think I keep coming back to this because I think it's sort of the question at the heart of this little book you did is whether we should have some sympathy for these people because they're pathological. That is, there's something wrong with them that they don't really control or whether we shouldn't really have much sympathy sympathy for them because it's political, it's manipulation, and it's outrageous. Right. Well, there's no doubt that Alex inflames paranoia to suit his weird agenda. There's no doubt that Alex peddles things that he knows are untrue. He knows, you know, it's not clinical. He knows that we didn't witness an actual human sacrifice at Bohemian Grove. You know, he he knows that. Yet, he peddles these things to inflame paranoia in his fan base, some of whom are, are paranoid. And the idea that that is close to Trump. And the idea that Trump is basically one of these men who sits in the audience at an Alex Jones show. And the idea that that kind of irrational, paranoid thought may make it to the White House is is terrifying. I've been speaking to John Ronson. He's the author of the Kindle single, The Elephant in the Room, A Journey into the Trump Campaign and the Alt-Right. It's $1.99 or free if you're a member of Amazon Prime. Well worth it. John, thanks for joining me on the show. Thanks, Jacob. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast was produced by Jason DeLeon. He doesn't think the moon landing was fake, but don't get him started about Opus Dei. The executive producer of Slate Podcast is Steve Lichtai. We call him the Umbrella Man because he won't let go on the Warren Commission report. 
Andy Bowers is chief fluoridation officer of the Panoply Network. Wait, did I say fluoridation? I meant content. John DiDomenico is our voice of Donald Trump. I'm Jacob Weisberg. And hey, the next debate is Sunday night in St. Louis. I'll be back the following morning on Columbus Day to talk about it with the political gab fest, just like we did last time. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. I see why am I. Pence ran a state that worked. Kane ran a state that failed.